0: welcome to a Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. Charlie, uh, we've had so many great guests uh, this 50th season of Admirals Hockey doing these podcasts. and I know you have said countless times one of the nicest people that has ever played for the Milwaukee Admirals was Greg Clausen. And when I think of Greg Clausen, not only that, but I also think of consistency, one of the most consistent performers for the Milwaukee Admirals. And Lo and behold, we were able to track him down, and and here he is to join us, Greg Clawson, joining us. Greg, it's it's great to as we're looking, great to see you, great to talk to you. How are things going?
1: Uh, It's going pretty well, thank you. Good to see you guys too. And uh, yeah, the years go by, and now here we are, 2020. So it's nice to touch base back in Milwaukee. That's for sure.
0: It's 14 years since you last played in Milwaukee, and it's about 11 or 12 since you last played in North America.
1: Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable, and yeah, I guess I wouldn't have thought I was still playing last year, but the years just kept piling up, and, yeah, it's been a while since I've been in North America, that's, that's for sure. I mean,
2: you were one of the last, from that Calder Cup championship team, you and, I think, Brandon Siegel, Scotty Upshaw, are about the last guys that were still playing professional hockey. That's, that's crazy to think about that, how long, what, like Aaron said, 14 years since you were, been in, that you were left Milwaukee, um, but you weren't uh, necessarily even a young guy when you left Milwaukee in 05, 06.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like I actually didn't start pro hockey till I was 23 because I played junior till 20. And then I was two years in college and then turned pro 23 years old. So yeah, 03, 04 would have been, or sorry, 05, 06, I would have already been six years into pro. I would have been 29, almost going on 30 at that point. So, so yeah, I wasn't a young, a young kid at that time anyways.
0: When you signed, you had a you mentioned you played the juniors till 20 and then uh, move on to Merrimack College and uh, play there for a couple of seasons. And then Nashville comes calling. Um, one, when did you realize you could be an NHL player? And two, how exciting was it to be in Nashville? I'm curious because it, I think it was their second season that their you infancy. ended up, uh, yeah, they, they're a brand new club trying to figure out which way they're going. And, you're a brand new player, so to speak, with the NHL, trying to figure out which way your career is going.
1: Yeah, to your to your first question, when did I think I could play in the NHL? Well, that took a while. I mean, honestly, up until my nineteen, twenty year old junior, did I really even think that I would continue playing hockey as a profession or as like into college? Actually, um, I saw some of my teammates going on to play college, and I figured, you know, I think I can pair with them, and if I if I do things right here, I think I can get a scholarship and, and maybe an opportunity to play in the u.s college and then that happened and then it wasn't until my my sophomore year college um my assistant coach there at the time one time at practice he came up to me and he said uh yeah there's some people coming to watch you play and i still kind of just shrugged it off thinking yeah you know just pulling your chain or trying to motivate you maybe huh exactly but looking back in that new england area there's a lot of hockey scouts around there there's a lot of teams around there so it's easy for guys to get to games so and then I had some agents start approaching me and this is when things I guess started to get real and then um, towards the end of my sophomore year that's when I started getting some offers and at that point still you're you're obviously excited but you're not thinking oh this is a sure shot to the NHL that's that's 100% so when I thought I could play in NHL was probably going into training camp in Nashville that first year because I had some experience the year before in Milwaukee after my sophomore year. I played 11 games with the Admirals in the IHL. Wasn't very successful, but just got my feet wet and kind of knew what to expect. And that, I think, took some of the nerves off going into training camp. And then that first training camp in Nashville, I did the rookie camp, full rookie camp, which I think I gained a lot of confidence doing that because I was a few years older than some of those rookies. I started playing well, and then it just it went right into training camp where I just kept scoring in, in Nashville's main camp. And then right through preseason, I actually led the preseason in scoring that year for nashville which was unbelievable that's that's when i thought like okay i think i belong here and i i think i can play
0: it's a hypothetical but you said that it took a while it took a while for you to to get to college it took a while for you to realize you could play in the nhl you know there are kids that are 14 15 years old that are being pressured to sign whatever it may be the western league or Or even into college, uh, you know, I think 15-year-olds, I think, is the limit, uh, is the cutoff now. But 15-year-olds are being pressured to sign with colleges. Uh, You've got 18-year-olds worrying about the draft. I'm curious, and and again, it's hypothetical, but I'm curious if maybe you were able to handle it all a little better, that you were a little older and a little more mature, or was it kind of nerve-wracking to to go through all of that uh, at, at the age you were?
1: Well, I think that's the, the route that would have only worked for me. I, don't, I went to a few major junior camps when I was 16, 17 in Regina, but my awkward stages of life lasted quite a few years, I would say, like <laughs> almost till I was 20. So it took me a while for my body to catch up and my coordination and everything, and just, I guess, to get the confidence and everything like that. So for me, I look at some of these kids, yeah, who are getting interviewed at 15, major junior, and then like thinking about the draft already. And I just don't see how I would have handled that at that age. So for me, To gain those extra years of junior in my hometown and then those two years of college at Merrimack um, gave me the ability to, like I said, gain confidence, gain strength, and just uh, be ready for Nationals camp in in 2000. I'm curious what the courting, like
2: uh, for you in the year 2000-ish, how does an agent, how, uh, how do they court you? uh there's no cell you don't have certainly you didn't have a cell phone there's probably like in your dorm at Merrimack or at your off-campus apartment there's probably one phone you're probably living with six guys and the calling card right you, you may or may not have gotten you know who knows they call and say is Greg there no he's not and it's like your uh you know your buddies probably oh forgot to write that one down sorry like how does that work how
1: does that process go oh exactly we had a phone in our dorm room so you you'd go to class and you come back and they would be like the light would be blinking with messages, right? (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't that the best feeling in the world? (laughs) When you're like, oh man, who is this? Yeah, normally it's your parents, right? And then it (laughs) it became like some agents. And I have a good story for you with that. Like I had Bobby Orr trying to represent me. So this was a a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. In New England and at Merrimack College. So all these, majority of the kids going to school there, it was a private college. So like majority were Boston area kids, right? And so he set up a meeting with me to pick me up in front of my dorm, college dorm. <laughs> really? <laughs> Which was like, I kept it hush hush because I'm not the type of guy to like. Call attention to yourself. To yeah. I just wanted to keep it secret. I didn't want any attention on myself. But that didn't happen because Mr. Orr pulled up in a Rolls Royce <laughs> uh, to my dorm. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I was just way out of my element. I'm from the farm in Saskatchewan, you know, like 87 Chevy <laughs> half ton, you know? So he pulls up and there's nowhere to hide and then it was it was almost like the word just spread through campus and it was like yeah Bob you blah 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 so then from there we proceeded to go for for dinner to this place called Bertucci's and it was like a Italian pizza place and in, in there too it's just I don't know how he deals with that all the time but he was so personable with the waitress uh, he was having trouble reading the menu because he needed bifocals he didn't have his, so we, he took them from the waitress and used hers and she was just <laughs> so it was a pretty cool experience and yeah, to answer your question, how, how they get a hold of you, just the old landline, that's how it was. Right. They just got, got your number from campus directory and
0: yeah. probably called your coach and whatever. Yeah. But you didn't end up getting... kind, of, a,
1: kind of refreshing not to have the cell phones back then.
0: Yeah, right. No okay, now that we know, yeah. 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 So you didn't get repped by Bobby Orr, or, or did you? I guess I don't even know.
1: No, and that's like, I don't even know how I decided not to go with him, but it just... I guess in my case I didn't feel like I was a huge prospect and I thought that maybe I wouldn't get the attention from that, from that agency right. so I ended up going elsewhere which was a tough decision. My uncles are huge Bobby Orr fans like Bruins fans growing up and I <laughs> had to tell them I wasn't going so <laughs> looking back maybe I, I should have but you know, I mean, it, it all worked out well and it was great to meet him. He was like I said a class act all the way. Yes. How many
0: Rolls Royces have you ridden in since then?
1: I'd say that was the only one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think I've ever seen one. I don't actually. think I have either. Just on think, TV. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, I know. it was. I mean, I know what the, the front grill looks like now anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was he, was he driving or did he have a driver? No, he was with – I think he was – I don't remember exactly, but I think he was with the uh, – like he was more the front guy at that time. He wasn't doing the negotiating of the contracts. He was more the – the face of the of the agency so i think he was with his uh that's how he got ref, your attention
2: the attractor the ref, yeah
1: i think he was driving at the time yeah yeah <laughs>
2: that's so great l- let's talk about your you know you, you play your sophomore year you decide to go pro you end up uh in milwaukee because you're gonna go you're gonna sign with nashville uh or you had probably had signed with nashville uh or had you signed your contract by the time you played with milwaukee or did they just say we'll do that after the season or how did that work
1: no, I did sign my contract, but I think it was just a... It was an ATO. A PTO for the rest of that season to yeah. play, play out the season in the IHL. And I yeah. just, yeah, I remember flying. I was in Montreal because it was, it was the break for college. So my old junior teammate was living in Montreal. So I drove up to see him and that's when everything started happening. Like the, the contract happened. So I had to drive back to Boston and then grab my gear out of the locker room, which was hard to get because everything was locked down on the break. Right. And then I flew, I flew to Milwaukee and this was all, I was just so green. Like this was only, I remember showing up at the mill at the uh, holiday Inn in Milwaukee, I think on Wisconsin Avenue. Yeah, yep. sure. That's where it all started. I think the team was actually on the road at the time, but my agent met me there and yeah, we signed that contract and then, yeah, I went to the rink the next day in my bad suit and there we that's how it started. <laughs> I,
0: I, I don't want you to name names, I'm sure you had other offers coming in, so I'm curious what uh, what Nash, what was special about Nashville's, or what did you feel that Na- why did you feel Nashville would be the right way to go?
1: Yeah, it actually happened last minute. Um, yeah, like I said, this all came on really fast for me in my sophomore year, so being a free agent, I, I never was drafted, so this was an advantage for me, I guess, at the time, because I had, I had about a dozen teams interested. And then in the end, it came down to uh, Boston was very interesting. Again, they were in the area. A lot of their scouts were watching me play. there coming to practice at Merrimack and stuff like that. And so we decided to sign with Boston the night before. And then I woke up in the morning, and my agent had told me that Nashville came with, a, with an offer, with a better offer, basically.
0: Okay.
1: And when I sat down and thought about it, I thought maybe my opportunity was better there as Nashville was a new organization. And yeah, it just, in the end, that was the, the decision I made just based on opportunity, I guess.
0: As I'm looking at your, your resume with Milwaukee specifically, you played for four coaches here, four head coaches. You had the end of Al Sims, you had Dave Allison, you had Peter Horachek, and you had Claude Noel in your time in Milwaukee. That's pretty amazing.
1: And I think I had Claude the whole time through there. <laughs> <He> <laughs> <Pretty was much. laughs> yeah, you're right. Every year, but, every year,
0: but with Peter. Yeah. Every year, yep. but with Peter.
1: Yeah, and I think the Peter year I wasn't there very much if I, or I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that might was, have been
0: your most games in the NHL. Yeah, well, let's see. 0102, 55 games in the NHL, 0102. So Peter was 0203.
1: Okay, so yeah, I was with Peter more than yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so, yeah, there was four coaches. Al was very brief. I remember him. He was a very stern coach coming in my first pro pro coach. He was a little bit intimidating, but and then yeah,
0: former teammate of Bobby Orr by the way. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah.
1: Hockey world is small. And then you said next was Dave Allison.
0: Dave Allison. And
1: Dave, yeah. yep. I think I had Dave for two. That's when I wasn't there that one year very much. Yep, I think yep. I had Dave for parts of years. I got in a few car rides with Dave to Wilson Park to go over my game.
0: What kind of stories were there? <laughs> I mean, Dave Allison is seriously one of the great storytellers of all time.
1: Well, yeah, that's all it was was stories. It was more, it was more philosophical than, than hockey. Yeah. He would ask what your favorite movie was and then then why was that your favorite movie like how does it affect you like philosophically basically (laughs) so anyways yeah and then he's i think he brought up top gun and he's like you need to be maverick that's who you need to
2: be so you know this is. did you say hey
1: but i want to be goose (laughs) you know these are coming right from dave right yeah
2: Yeah. uh we've heard that from a number of people that uh you know dave especially dave uh, was very philosophical and you look around the room after he may come in for a meeting or something like that and you got 15 or 20 guys looking at each other like
1: what just happened there like <laughs> what, what was he what was he talking about what did he say uh oh, yeah, he was funny like yoannus anderson one of my good friends in the early days when i was in milwaukee Oh, the one thing he said to Jonas on the bench, Jonas and I l- laughed at it for years after. Jonas turned the puck over at the blue line. He came to the bench. Maybe you've heard this one, Charlie. And he said, uh, with a few expletives in there, but he said, who do you think you are? Tina, Turnover?" <laughs> <laughs> and Mike. And we were just like, after the game, we just, well, obviously for Jonas, it was like, you're a little bit like get off my back, whatever. But then as time went on, we, we never laughed so hard. So we repeated that line so many times. <laughs> <laughs> Tina turnover.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm curious what it was like for you with the first time you ca- came into the Admiral's locker room, as a professional and you said al sims is pretty intimidating do you remember the other guys on the team that year 89 90 that's uh 99 2000 yeah
1: no yeah um, 90 sorry i I didn't mean to age you by a decade there well yeah like if you want to talk veterans back then eric fenton yeah brent peterson sure who was who was great i didn't i wasn't there very long but he was always i don't he just kind of made me feel a little bit welcome like he said he was saying to me little things like hey you do things right you'll have a long career and this kind of just gave me the confidence you know he didn't have to be that way but i remember him um then there was like baron's wig Flipwitz, yep. goose david goslin yep mark, uh, morrow mark morrow was morrow there yeah. mark morrow was there yeah mark morrow chris mason was a goalie yep so yeah that seemed like from my first three years to my last three years it was a big big turnover Huge and a big turnover change. but that that was they had their own identity back then too. They had a good team, and they had a lot of good characters in that team in those early days too.
0: Well, then, what uh, as as obviously uh, the draft picks start coming in for Nashville because they're a new team, and now after a couple of years, here come the draft picks. So, uh, guys like Hadar and Upshaw and, and and all of those guys end up eventually Finley and yeah, yeah Finley and those guys they they all end up in town. So you're right, yeah. There's there is quite a change in three, four years with the team.
1: Uh, Right. I guess, I I guess that's due to the affiliation. Like you said. Yeah. So
2: that that my first year with the team was 2000, 2001. And I'm not sure if you like you played about, you're about half and half Milwaukee Nashville that year. I'm just curious if you were in Milwaukee when Randy Robitaille was in Milwaukee, he was there for about a month. And it was even to this day, maybe the most dominant month by an admirals
1: player that I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that he was so skilled. He, a story about Randy like him and I that, that year, we were going back and forth because so you were getting a trade exchange it, for each honestly, other. Honestly, it was me and him, I think, like three or four times because or more because I remember like I went down, then I went up, and then I got injured, and then went down again, came up. And then he, he was always the guy that we were I was trading with. I think he came up and down a couple times anyway. So it came to the point where we just honestly we just we switched apartments and we switched cars. So he left his. I drove his car in, in Milwaukee in Milwaukee, because he was in Milwaukee first and he drove my car in Nashville when he was there and he lived in my apartment. I lived in his apartment. Wow. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's very smart. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think we came to the that, was, Charlie? I didn't know that. I'd never heard that before. That, and he I'm, was staying in, that, he was staying in like a furnished, it was like a hotel, like a, I guess you call it Airbnb nowadays, but it was in an older, like old style, like a uh, what do you call it? Um, colonial style hotel. So yeah, very very off the map a little bit, but yeah, I stayed there and I, but that was some tough times. I remember I had a terrible concussion. So like I just had the lights off on in there and it was like, (laughs) yeah, but yeah, we, we traded cars and apartments, which is probably not, not too common.
0: (laughs) Definitely not anymore. No, No. you mentioned, you mentioned Jonas Anderson and I'm curious because I mean, this is a guy that kind of gets lost when we think of, of really good admirals players from the past and we, we, he he kind of gets lost in the in the conversation here uh give us a little more about Jonas Anderson how skilled how talented all of that
1: the most fit guy maybe ever right oh he's just like i said i hit those awkward stages i think he was just primed and ready to go at 18 19 just yeah unbelievable athlete and on those bike tests he would just blow those bike tests away and he was yeah he was very into fitness at, at that time when a lot of players weren't so but yeah him and i were very good friends early on and it's a shame we haven't touch base in like probably five six years but we came in as rookies that year after my sophomore year he came in out of junior north bay and i came from from merrimack and we we came the same day to milwaukee as rookies he was i was 23 he was i think was he 19 or 20 maybe 19 i think and yeah so we played off that season together and then we played the playoffs i remember we flew charlie were you you there the next year you said Oh, 2000, 2001
2: was my first year. We lost to Chicago in the first round of the playoffs.
1: Okay, yeah. That year we played, I think it was Cleveland in the first round, and we flew a charter. <laughs> I remember that. that was a Is that right? Pretty big, pretty big deal for us. Yeah, to Cleveland.
2: Oh, that was the year that we played. That's because we played back-to-back double and triple overtime games. That's and so, right. And Mason, that was when Chris Mason had, like, the, uh, the, the most saves, saves in a game yeah, in Admiral's saves, history. Man. And we lost the double overtime game and then won the triple overtime game. Paul Healy, right? Paul Healy. Healy, Yep. There you go. Paul Healy.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But back to, back to Jonas. Yeah. He was, he was ready and he was in unbelievable shape. He could skate, skate like the wind. And yeah, he's definitely maybe got a little bit overlooked and never got the opportunity, but he, uh, yeah, he was definitely amazing talent. That's for Uh, sure.
2: I'll tell you my, here's my Jonas Anderson story. He was obviously a super nice guy as well. And I've heard all the fitness stories about him, about how, you know, especially the bike test that he was legendary on the bike, but he hurt his hand in training camp, uh, in Oh three Oh four. And it was my first year as the PR person. And, uh, his battery was dead on his car. And so he said to me, Hey, can you can you? Or i made. He said to me, or I said to him, do you need help or whatever. So I go out there to help him, and I pull my car up, and I got jumper cables, and I said to him, Hey, do you know what you're doing here? I, I, and I'm not handy. I'm not a car guy, but I at least I knew how to position the jumper cables. I said, do You know what you're doing? And he said, Oh yeah, no problem. Well, he didn't. <laughs> he put the clamps on the wrong things. Oh. The positive. It was it was switched, and all of a sudden, I put the clamps on mine. And, the, and his car battery starts sparking, and it's just like a, it's like a firecracker shooting off. There's so much sparks and fire, and I'm just like, I'm starting to freak out because, like, this is a car, there's gasoline, what should we do? And so what, what, what did uh, Jonas do? He went and grabbed the, uh, the clamp, and the clamp was hot, so he burns his hand. He's got to go in and see Dougie because his hand is burnt and uh, from changing a battery, luckily – Thank goodness it wasn't like it wasn't too bad, and you know the burn didn't delay his uh, rehabilitation at all. But I never, I have never jumped a player's car since
1: that day. That was the last <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, Jonas, yeah, he was a great guy, man. And tons of stories with him too. But he did get a chance eventually. I think with Vancouver, he got a few games down the road. But uh, when was yeah, he, he, and when he really? Was he? He really had a lot of success over in Finland. I think he had some really good success in that league, in the Finnish league.
0: It wasn't long ago. How long – it's probably eight years ago now. But he was involved in a trade. We thought we were going to get him again. Remember that?
1: Yes. He ended I, up
0: coming back to Nashville in a deal, and maybe it was a, a, a Santarelli deal. or so. It was some trade that he ended – we thought we were going to end up with him again, and then he ended up going overseas.
1: I do remember well, that. He did. Go ahead, uh, Greg. No, so- I know he did end up with Claude in, in Manitoba there for a short stint, too. So I don't know if, the, that might have been cooler. when the deal was maybe going to happen, yeah.
0: Yeah, that might be it, yeah. Um, I can't – yeah, so that would have been about eight years ago, the 2011-12 area, something like he,
2: that. He, pl- he played in Manitoba uh, in 10-11.
0: Click on um, show trades. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Click on the show trades. Show trades, trades? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you see what happens. Let's
2: see. He got um, – okay he was not traded in that year not at least to vancouver or or not or manitoba or from he might have been an ato guy um okay or a pto guy not an ato guy but
0: so let's fast forward to that O three O four campaign uh calder cup championship season we've talked to so many guys from that team uh brad tiley we had on the radio a few weeks ago uh we talked to Claude a few weeks ago on this podcast and Claude had said that there were two, three occasions during the season where he had to sit everybody down and kind of straighten everybody out, remind them the, lead, the leadership kind of group
2: especially. Were,
0: you know, yeah, to straighten everybody out because he didn't like the way things were going and had to do things the right way, so on and so on. Do you recall any of that? Were you involved in any of that?
1: Well, I think I sat in on a few of those meetings for sure, but um, I think we had a lot of moving parts that year at the start, and I think we had a, a lot of new, not personalities, but a lot of we had. A, guys coming in different situations and I think there were times when it wasn't going a hundred percent smooth. And I th- yeah, Claude was obviously the type of guy who made sure that the train was on the track. He felt like that was his responsibility as the coach. And so he, a lot of times would relay it onto the players. And I think he had to do that a few times that year and hold the players accountable and have the players kind of drive the train at some point. So, um, yeah, it wasn't all roses. I don't think any season is the championship season. It was we. It wasn't all roses, but we did have a a great team, and we seemed to always find a way to to overcome. I guess you could say.
2: Who were you playing with that year? Like we know that in 5 it was Claassen, Hadar, Gamash, especially in the playoffs. Uh, but who were you, in in uh, 03-04? Fids was was centering
1: uh, Hadar and Gamash. So who were your uh, wingers? Oh, I think I moved around the lineup a lot that year. I think I was I think I was playing like top line through fourth line depending on the on the games I've, i was really shuffled around that year playing on the wing sometimes too so it's more of a almost a utility a roller, guy yeah utility guy yeah so i can't remember i think i did play with hadar a bit that year as well but then going to the playoffs Fitz took that spot and they played really well together and i think i was playing with C- brandon siegel and riotous Riot oh, right even right as evidence yeah a little bit of a grind line there yeah and tough then, guys uh, yeah <laughs> But I, I honestly think I just got moved around a lot that year. Played who else was on that team that year? Let me think. Wyatt
2: Smith was the other, another center. Smith was another centerman. Um,
1: so and Timofey Libor Lebor. Yeah, maybe you played a little bit with Jay Henderson a little bit too, maybe. Jay Henderson was a, okay. uh, a winger for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we had a lot of centermen that year. So I think I did play the wing a bit. We had Hercus down the middle. Wyatt Smith, Fiddler. Right, Herc, and yeah. Matthew Dars played center, but I think he was on the wing actually, more or less. Was, but yeah. So. I can't really give you a straight answer on that one, but I think I just, I basically got moved around. Uh, I,
2: I have a question about Claude as the head coach that year. You had him, you had had him as an assistant coach uh, for a couple of years. And what, what are the What were the differences between him and as an, as an assistant and as a head coach, could you see that he was going to be a good head coach or is that tough to see when it's the assistant, he's more in the background and, and the relationships
1: are different. Yeah. I mean, he, he always had a relationship with his players, whether he was assistant coach or a head coach. I think he always kept it on a personal level for the most part. As an assistant, I think he, uh, he, he held a lot of one-on-one meetings with his players. He'd bring him in after practice and pull you aside, and he'd be like, classy, come here. And, say like,
2: <laughs> and then he'd call you were- shooter.
1: <laughs> yeah, how were you, how were you today? And he'd be like, oh, man, here we go. <laughs> um, I was a three and a half. Why? Why were you three and a half? Well, and then he'd go on and on and he'd just try to get you to the A game was his thing, you know, to play your A game. So he was always on you as an assistant coach, like just taking you aside and making sure you're, you're at your best. And then as a head coach, I just think he really pushed you more because he had more, maybe more control and he pushed you as a player individually and the team as a whole. And he was really on you. And at some points it got maybe a little bit annoying, but looking back, obviously, there's a reason for it. and he made us all better. So what
0: do you remember it? the way everybody shot? Cause didn't he come around and quiz you about so-and-so being a right shot or is this guy a left shot? Did he do all of that uh, when you were there? And do you still remember whether Eric Westrom was a left shot or a right shot?
1: <laughs> I would say Eric Westrom was a left shot. He was. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Kirby I, can see, law? I don't, I don't, Kirby
0: law. sorry. Kirby law. How about Kirby law for Houston? You know,
1: Another lefty. How about he Don? Was a
0: right, he was a right shot. How about he Don McLean? Lefty. Yeah, Don McLean was a lefty. Yeah, <laughs> That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's that's that is good.
0: A <laughs> couple <laughs> years removed.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't remember him asking about the shots, but I remember having a lot of one-on-one meetings with him, and yeah, he he pushed you, made you a better player. That's for sure.
0: I remember. If I can <laughs> remember
1: in oh five oh six. That's the year I came back from, I played in Finland in the. Finland for a year. Yep. Yeah. And then I think we were on a little bit of a slide that old five or six year and he called the team meeting and he, w- he basically went through the room and just confronted everyone and said like, and when he came to me, he said, he said, uh, can you play in the league? Can you still play in the leagues? And I was like, Whoa. And I was like, I don't even know what I answered, but it really kind of gave me a wake up call and held me accountable. And I-, I needed to prove to him that I could still play in the league at that point. And, uh, so he knew how to push you, push the buttons, and I think uh, that's why he was a successful coach. You know, along those
0: lines, I remember, and I don't know, I, I don't know that any other coach has done this, but I remember him handing out um, like mid-season assessments. He wanted players to assess themselves, and then he would see, you know, like you said, how were you today, three and a half? Well, he would actually hand it out on paper, and you would have to turn that in, right? Did you did you do that?
1: Yes, he had different tactics like that. That's for sure. A lot of a lot of interaction with the players, a lot of accountability. So.
2: One of the other things he did, which I I, I haven't seen a coach do that ever since, is he made every guy stand up in front of the room and give your bio. And you had to bring pictures in. And I always thought that was a really cool thing to do. Really good way to get the group to know you as a person as opposed to just a a hockey player. Uh, So do you remember what your bio was? What you did? hundred
1: percent. hundred percent, I agree. That's a huge... uh a very good idea i think it really brings the players together because a lot of times players just i guess they talk about the day before or or tomorrow's happening tomorrow but they don't really dive in unless you're really close friends with the players you don't really dive into their their history or where they're from or their family so yeah he made players get up in front of the room give like a five minute talk about where they're from how many brothers and sisters they have what they're interested in and all this stuff so If I ever do coach in the future, that's something I would definitely implement. I think it's, I think it's pretty important. Um, As far as my bio, I do remember (laughs) a story I told and got a pretty good laugh from the guys. So, but uh, it was just a little farm story I had about, we had pigs on the farm back in the day. And uh, so we had to spread the, he called spreading the pits because the pits is where all the manure stayed, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So you you had to suck this into the tank. And you go out on the field and you spread the manure onto the field. Mm -hmm. So, and I always hated this coming home on the school bus because everyone could smell our farm smell like, (laughs) like, like, so you get teased like like pig (laughs) manure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So I was spreading manure and in the back got plugged up in the back of the spreader.
0: Oh, Oh, jeez. So
1: I had to go, I had to go back there to try and fix this this problem. And I think I pulled the wrong pin and it released <laughs> and I was covered. And I remember driving back into, back into the yard and we had company who would come over. we waiting in the driveway to me, just full of pig manure and just my lips, just, I didn't move my lips for I think the half hour straight to the shower. So I think the boys got a chuckle out of that one and just kind of gave them a little, uh, a little bit of, uh, idea where I came from, I guess, came from the farm life. And, uh, so yeah, those stories, it lets guys know where you're from and, and what kind of family you have. And I think it just, in the end, it kind of brings you more together. And on on the ice it carries over. So,
2: you know, I had a friend of, uh, who grew up in a, 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 a town in Southwestern Minnesota, Laverne, Minnesota, uh, and her dad on a pig farmer, her dad was a banker and her, but he grew up on a pig farm. And he always said when he'd smell the pig manure, he's just like, he said, that's the smell of money. That's the smell of money, right there.
1: <laughs> exactly. You got to uh, you got to turn it positive somehow, right? Yep. <laughs> let's uh, get to the
0: let's get to the playoffs that year, that o three o four campaign. Uh, seven games, six games, five games, four games as you went. Um, before that, when did you realize you had a special team that might
1: do it? Um, the o three o four. Well, I think we just did. We have forty wins that year. I, I think we were close to forty wins. I think forty nine, maybe. 48 so you just you you just get a sense when you're you're winning games repeatedly or like you you never lose more than a couple in a row you start to you just gain this confidence where you you think we can we can beat any team in this league and I think with the the players we had there it was almost almost the perfect mix for a championship team we had we had guys who could calm the team down when needed to and we had young guys with energy and we had just players who who showed up and I think as the season wore on, you kind of gain that confidence, and I, I think uh, a big thing for us was Chicago Wolves getting through them. I remember, I never like playing there for a few years, but I remember the owner of Milwaukee Tools came in our room. I think it was yeah, that year. Yes, and he offered. I still up this, have that. And he offered. This was second round. He offered up this incentive that if we beat the Wolves, he's going to give us a, like power tools, Milwaukee power tools, like legit. You,
2: like really? you got your choice between a Milwaukee uh, sawzall or yeah. a, or a or, a, or a, drill. A, a drill. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I got both because one of the players didn't want it, so I took both. I got and I gave it to my dad. He used it for years. The sawzall, he loved. He's like, I love that Milwaukee tool, you know. So. <laughs> and so we obviously yes, yeah, so the story goes. We beat them in six games. We got these tools, and I, I don't know. I just think we got to the point where we felt we could beat any team in the league, and that's that's what you need. And and obviously, you need bounces, you need goaltending, you need all that stuff, but. A lot of it is the mental part, and we just got to the point where uh, we felt comfortable with each other and felt comfortable with winning games.
2: I, I've asked this to every guy we've had from the team. Obviously, that game four, we were up big. Uh, third period, you knew what was going to happen. wilkes yeah. yeah. in Wilkesbury. Uh, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind when you knew last five minutes – what we're going to be called cup champions. Can you focus when you're out on your shifts? Uh, do you just want to be on the, like Herc said, Herc said, he, he's a veteran. So he just told Claude, I'm just going to stay, just play the other guys. And, uh, but did you have a thought like, Oh, do I want to get in on the pile? When this happens, do I, where do I want to be? Like, did you have a, uh, what, what's going through your head?
1: Well, it's, it's, it was kind of nice to be in that position, being up for seven, sure. Seven, seven, one, I think, or seven, two was the final score. Yeah. And so you actually have a little bit more time to enjoy it. If you're going down to the wire a one goal game or in game seven or something, like I wasn't a game seven in, in Germany in the DL. And it was, that was, that's a whole different story, but yeah, being up seven to one, seven to two, whatever it was, you you can enjoy it for the last couple of minutes and you kind of, yeah, I mean, you're just nudging your teammates and you're saying, this is, this is really happening. You know, we, we've done it. It's a, it's a long playoffs, four rounds, best of sevens. And and to actually know you're going to accomplish the feat, it's yeah, you're you don't mind the, if the clock runs slow at that point.
2: Yeah, it's and it's it's
1: mid June. You, like you've been together for eight months. Oh, exactly. It's a it gets to be a long season, but in the end, it's if you can win the last game going into June, it's it's all worthwhile. Losing that last one, it's it's tough because you you battled so hard right till the end. But, but, but we you definitely enjoyed.
2: Yeah, you had that experience two years later. We can we'll get to that certainly uh yeah. i'm curious about what well, you went overseas to finland for a year uh how did that come about where was your contract up and obviously it was up or i should or say obviously just a lockout thing yeah it was the lo- or was it just a lockout thing
1: yeah it was basically the, i had a two-year contract and then another two-year contract so i don't know if. yeah my contract was up okay my contract was up I think I maybe had the opportunity to come back. I'm not sure if I did, but I, at that point in my career, I was, I had more NHL games than AHL games. And I was kind of thinking maybe going to a strong, like Finland's a good, a good league. And I thought it would be a strong league during the lockout. So I thought this is a good opportunity, opportunity for me to go over. I'd been in Milwaukee, I think up to five years at that point, parts of five seasons. And I thought a change might be good. And so that's what's, why well, made my decision just to go over to a, a good european league and uh, then hopefully come back the next year and see what happens
0: how does what, that help your game i'm sorry i didn't mean that. no, no i was know, just gonna, i was it. actually going to ask that same, same question how does that help your game when you go over after playing the north american game and then you go to finland which is a really good league and they always used to the stereotype used to be always that the finns played more of a north american game than the other leagues over there specifically sweden so what how
1: much did it help your game to play over there well, I had an injury that year, so that didn't help too much. I, I no. tore, tore ligaments in my ankle, so I was playing a lot of that year injured, which was which was tough, but it just gives another dimension to your game. I think you're playing on the bigger ice. I think you're you're learning to, to handle the puck more, more puck possession. But back to your point about Finland being North American, you're right with that. It's more north-south than like a, a Swiss game or a or KHL or something like that, I think. But at the same time, when I went there, I noticed that they – they were allowed to play a lot more one-on-one situations. If they, if they turned over the puck, they weren't <laughs> being called Tina Turnover. <laughs> so, like, that's what I, I noticed. Guys were making plays one-on-one and, and, and not and turning the puck over, but the coach didn't seem to mind. Like, they, they were allowed to take more chances, I think, be more creative and stuff like that. So I think that's something that, that I learned. Whereas in North America, going back to junior, you were just taught to, like,
0: safe get to the red
1: line, make the safe play, dump it in, which was how I, I kind of played my games the safe way, like to get the puck deep and don't turn it over. Whereas in Finland, you had a little bit more uh, of a rope to do things offensively. So that was, that was kind of fun. Yeah.
2: I'm curious how it was for you as a self-proclaimed farm boy from Saskatchewan to go overseas. Uh, did you have a girlfriend you went over with? Were you by yourself? I bet that was intimidating. Even though you're a veteran player, you played NHL games, almost hundred NHL games it's still got to be intimidating to do that, I would suspect.
1: Well, obviously, I'm not a farm boy. I couldn't fix that problem. (laughs) Um, I worked a lot on the farm, operating machinery and stuff, but I was never – I was a sports guy. I was always into sports and stuff like that. So um, going to Europe, I always had the intrigue to go over there at some point, I think, and this was just a good opportunity. I think like I I had more NHL games at that time, and I had a a good chance to go over there and – in a lockout where a lot of the European players were going back to play in their hometown so it was it was a strong league and I, yeah I guess the experience was part of it and uh yeah looking back it was a it was a great time I met some friends who I still have today in Finland and it's uh yeah definitely something that uh I don't regret
0: you you spoke about the difference from the IHL days and then that oh three oh four the, the turnover that you had and then you you're you're gone just one year and then even from o three o four to o five o six, when you come back, the turnover is incredible. Finley is still around, but and Hadar is still around, but there there aren't a heck of a lot of guys that are still around from that o three o four team, two years later.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, it was that o three o four year. I think that, that's when all the the signed players came in. If I'm correct, like Hutch, Huch- Hadar. Uh, the, Hutch and Hadar came in in o two o three. Oh, because that was yeah. So oh two oh three is when that's when we started developing that culture where everyone was living together downtown and at the Blatts. Yeah, at the Blatts exactly. We all became like really tight. Oh two oh three oh three oh four, and then yeah, I left for a year. I think they had a lot of guys on that lockout team in Milwaukee. Yeah, and then coming back oh five oh six. Yeah, there was a, lo- a lot of turnover. That's when I think was was Webster
0: and Pekka. Yeah, yeah, Weber, and
1: Pekka. yeah, all those all those new draft picks of the Predators. Like man, we had a good team that year. If you look at the lineup, like, all the all the guys that went to have big NHL careers, like Webbs, Ke- Kevin Klein played a long time Kevin in the NHL.
2: I mean, the, our, the second line in the playoffs was Peverly and Tutu and Upshaw. That's a, that's probably 2,000 games in the NHL between those three. Oh,
1: well, yeah, exactly. Pekka and Goal, and then it's like, yeah. That was a big turnover that him. year, but it seemed it seemed like that turnover to 05-06, it seemed like they came in just – transitioned right in with the team and the team was I would say just as close that year if not closer than 0304 I think it was younger so guys were a little bit spending more time together in a way at the Blats and the locker room was a little bit more childish but a lot of energy in the, in the locker room and and def, I, like I said I think those guys just transitioned in they were all good guys they they were there to play for the team and it was I mean when you get a guy like Shea Weber in there who he's there for the right reasons and he to be honest, I don't even think he, he should have been there. He was That good. He, he was yeah, he was that good where he didn't need to be there, but he, he came there with the right attitude. And I think that just when you have guys like that, it brings everyone together and gives you a competitive team.
0: You talk about the room. I'm curious if Greg Zannon spoke as it, it chirped as much in O'Connor as he did in
1: 0506. In o, in when, sorry?
0: Compare the two seasons, the 0-3-0-4 and then 0506. Did he chirp as much? And you know, 03, much 04. more when he, yeah. in 0304 as he did when he was the captain in 0506.
1: Oh, when I came back in 0506, I, I couldn't believe. It. <laughs> it was, uh, that yap never stopped full time. <laughs> but there's another there's another guy who had an amazing NHL career, you know, so we didn't mention him. But, yeah, he's probably, he's probably the most vocal player on the ice that I ever played with. Is I that
2: helpful it. for you as a forward and to have that uh... – a, a continuous communication with the D, or does it after a while? Is it like, or is okay. it even
0: communication? Is it just?
2: Yes, is, is it, it just, just white yeah. noise? Yeah.
1: I think he needed to do it to be effective on his end. I think he needed for to, himself, for, huh? For himself to stay in the game, like yeah. As a, as a teammate, I think it was a little, little much. I think he knew where he was by the time the twenty thirty game mark came along. But I think honestly, it was for his benefit, and obviously, it's helping the goalie and his D partner more than the forwards. I would say, but. Yeah, I think that just became part of his game and, and made him effective.
2: Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, and I'm sure, Aaron, I, I would imagine you do too. Let's go right to the first series of the 05 06 playoffs against Iowa when uh, Tutu, Upshaw, Pekka, uh, Weber, they're all up in Nashville. And we're down, we, uh, and Brian fin- fin- Finley gets hurt. Um, and who was our second? Uh, And we brought in Jake Moreland to play goalie and another guy, um, Martin St. No.
1: uh, Oh, yeah. If you uh, look at some of those rosters, it's back in those AHL, IHL days. Sometimes there'd be like 70 players on a roster. Yeah, (laughs) just tons of them. Anyways, uh,
2: it's, uh, you know, first of all, you and Haydar and Gamache, I, I, I think you probably played about 50 minutes a night in those games. It always seemed like if there was a whistle stop, you guys were in the game. Uh, did it feel that way to you? But then I really want to get to like game seven of that, of that series and how much you remember from, uh, from game seven and having Jake Moreland in goal, Finley's hurt. Like w- we just got beat in game six. What's going through your head? That's a lot. Uh, that was a, that's a very uh, multifaceted question I just gave you. By the
0: way, uh, real quick, the backup goalie was Kevin St.
1: Pierre. Kevin St. Pierre. Kevin St. Pierre. Okay. And then, didn't we have a uh, Chris Zach wagner play a game for us, our, our top uh, athletic trainer.
2: He, he was the backup.
1: He was the backup.
2: He took, he took warmups and I, I, I have a, a distinct memory of him taking warmups and taking about five shots, all glove side. Everyone, his glove was about three seconds late. The, the puck was through the, <laughs> practically through the net before his glove went up. I, I got a good kick. We shouldn't should have been
1: selling that in warmups, should we? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, your question. Okay. The Iowa series. Yes. They went seven games. Um, I, I don't remember being overly, I mean, obviously you're concerned when you have a, when Finner got injured, right? Cause Finner, Finner was a good goalie. He played well for us a lot that year. And so when he went down and like you said, Pekka was up in Nashville at the, at the time. So it's a concern, but it, it just didn't seem like Jake. I think if you knew Jake, he was, he wasn't there much, but he was just a calm, kind of cool collective goalie he just kind of went in there did his thing and wasn't didn't seem too rattled so when you saw him being calm I think it just kind of went through the team and we all just played for him and we tried to protect him as much as possible and I think it just yeah maybe we got some bounces and we ended up finishing off that series in seven and and moved on but I really don't think there was a lot of panic when maybe there there could have been or should have been but maybe that is credit credit to Jake being a pretty calm in the net and, and credit to you guys I think, a he made a, I think he made a lot of saves that game. Like, I think he was in the 35 30, save mark.
0: 32 saves, 32 out of
1: 33. Yeah, so, yeah, he, was a, he doesn't get any credit maybe for that. But that's a, that's a huge game for him to come in. Did he play, I think, one more than that, actually? He had played, he played a little six. bit in game
0: six. Yeah, he yeah. played a little in game six. Um, yeah, that Iowa roster, Mike Smith was the goalie. Obviously, played is he? I think he's still playing, right? He was with uh, Cal- Calgary or Edmonton. Calgary. He was in.
2: Yeah, he was. In, now in and, Edmonton
0: this year. Yeah.
2: Uh, and,
0: Kyle Brodziak was on that team. Louis Erickson, uh, Toby Peterson, uh, David Oliver, B.J. Crombie. I mean, there was some NHL. Chris March, a lot of NHL guys on that club.
1: Dave uh, Allison the was coaching. Dave Allison, Dave Allison, was, Allison the coach. was the
0: coach. Yeah. Of course, yeah, the I- listen to this Admirals lineup there. Uh, Steve Lindgren, Greg Zanin, Kevin Klein, Gamash, Paul Brown, Siegel, Barry, Brookbank, Hadar, Claussen, Tutu, Sean McAslan, uh, Libor Pivko, Stortini, Durno, Nathan Lutz, Rich Peverly, Scott May, and Jake Moreland. That's pretty good.
1: That's a pretty yeah, good bro- lineup. Look at Brook. I can't believe I forgot Brookie. Yeah. There he is. Another went up. Stanley Cup seven, champion. Stanley Cup champion. Um, yeah. I actually saw Brookie last year in Berlin in, in Germany. He was there with the, with the Blackhawks, the assistant coach. They played the Berlin Club in a preseason game. So Did we went out for for a few pops. It was good to see him, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. That's
2: awesome. Uh, that game seven started off a run uh, that tied an AHL record, I believe, for most consecutive wins in the postseason, 10. Um, yeah. And, like, you guys were just rolling. That was – uh, obviously you got back – we got back 2-2 for game seven, and you got back Upshaw, and we got back Weber and Pekka, and that just – was like let's go boys here we go that was a really good team and I'm sure you guys felt the momentum and we've also had guys tell us that was the most fun they've ever had playing hockey in that postseason like not just on the ice but like the guys were so close off the ice he had so much fun and there was so much dead time because of building availability uh that it was just like it was almost magical
1: yeah and then we had we swept those two rounds I think we swept Grand Rapids and uh Houston Houston and Houston so we had even more off time so and like I said the guys were younger so our, our group was really tight in a different way than the 0304 team but definitely uh yeah fun <laughs> I mean winning solves all the problems right so when you're winning games we were, we were having a great time and I'm sure a lot of those guys will even some of those NHL guys will say that that was uh one of their most memorable runs even not being in the NHL for them but the, definitely, uh, definitely a strong team, and it's it's a shame we, we couldn't pull it off that year. We just somehow ran out of gas or in the in the last couple games, you know, games. I, I remember asking,
0: I remember asking Brookie, and he said we just had too much time off, we just couldn't stay in a rhythm because it was just too much time between games.
1: Right, True. especially yeah, especially even between
0: games two and three. Right, from Milwaukee. Who did, to who
1: did Hershey play in the third round? Do you remember Portland? Portland.
0: Portland, and they, Anaheim, Corey Perry, and those guys. Yeah,
2: and Getzloff played in that in that playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. For Portland, yeah. Yeah, that that game also, I if I'm not mistaken, game five uh, of that series, whoever's up three to two, uh, or game six, whoever's up three to two, lost, and they had to wait five days to play game seven. So that
1: was even that was even longer uh, for it's us for to us, be off. Yeah, I remember. I think we listened to that game seven was it a game seven against Hershey? Did they play Portland yeah. game seven? Portland yeah. Hershey yeah. game we seven. We were listening in our apartment, there was five or six of us listening to the game on the radio. And I think it went right down to the wire that game, so we didn't know who we were playing right until the I'm not sure if it went to overtime, but we I, thought that we thought we'd be playing Portland because they had the they had the Getzloff Perry and all those guys on there, so Yeah. Uh, I
2: think Hershey
1: he was no slouch was no slouch either. They they had, well, had Feichman Chris, Chris Beach. Probably the difference in the series, right? Yeah, Chris Beach was amazing that that series. And who was on the, the D there that um Mike Green?
0: Lawrence, Lawrence Nicolette. Uh Green Green played Mike. a game, but not many. Um, okay. by the way, that uh that Portland Hershey series was five four in overtime. Eric Fair that scored was, the scored middle. player, huh? Eric Fair, they had Steckle, Dave
1: Dave Steckle. Steckle overtime. Dave yeah.
0: Steckle, yeah. Yeah. No, that was yeah. a good club. There's no doubt that was a good club.
1: Yeah, and then their goalie, their goalie really played well. The Kasibi. I think because we were up two one in that in that final series, and yeah. so we did have some confidence. I never liked that format, the, the two three two, right? Because if I mean I think we did did we split yeah we split at home games one and two yep, but then you go in there for three games, so you you got to. Got to take one for sure, obviously. And
2: we won Game Three, I think two all, but then we had another four days off, I think, in a row. Uh, yeah, my dad
1: came down for that for that series. He came to Hershey. I remember we went to like that chocolate plant. I think three days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had an off time. I think we were there for like a week, weren't we? For three games or something. Yeah, like that. To,
0: and and went to Hershey Park for a. Uh, yeah. Between for, between just to, just to cl- for clarification's sake, uh, Game Two in Milwaukee was Saturday, June third. Game three in Hershey was Saturday, June tenth. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, when was Game four? Uh, then it was quickly. It was ten- the tenth, eleventh, thirteenth, and fifteenth. Oh. Back okay. in Milwaukee on the fifteenth. Okay, but, but it went quick after that. But it was June third to June tenth. So we must the, have gone out you know, early, and that's when we went to uh, right, right
2: to Hershey. You Park. did
0: go out. You did go out early because I had a personal matter that I had to stay behind. I could not make the trip right uh, out to Hershey. So yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what it was. The team left a right. couple of days early. Yeah. So we don't win that series. Oh, uh, five, Oh six season is
2: done. What's going through your head. What is your, you know, you're a free agent. Um, and so what, what, what happened and, you know, to take you out of Milwaukee, take you out of Nashville, did you want a, a change of scenery? How, how did that come about?
1: Oh man. Um, yeah, well, at that point, so aside from the one year in Finland, I had been with Nashville since, well, I signed in, I guess in the count, albums, yeah. after my college season, I was there for seven years, I guess six, seven years, Right. and at that point, I wasn't in their plans anymore, I hadn't played in Nashville for, I think, three years at that point, but they kept, they kept qualifying me yeah, every year, because they, they had my rights until I was 29, because I signed Oh my God! In the CBA, there was in the CBA, there was some rule there. If you sign after your 22nd birthday or something, or then the team has your you can't become a free agent until 29 years old. So they had my rights till 29, and they did keep qualifying me each year. And so I was I was maybe stuck in a little bit of a rut there, and I just thought it was time time to get out. And so that's when I went to to, to Germany, yep. to Hamburg to play in the DEL, and. and- you
2: must have had – I mean, you played in other places besides the DEL, besides Germany, but you must have really liked it there because you spent a lot of seasons uh, in, in
1: that league. Is that, uh, is that a fair thing to say? Well, yeah, I went there the first time in 06, 07, and then I went back full-time in 11, 12, or something like that. So I did come back to North America again after right, for a year and a half. I think, and then until – yeah, I came back when I became a free agent again. I came back to North America at, at 29 or whatever, 30, to give it one more shot. And then, uh, after playing in Germany, I played one year in Switzerland as well. And then after playing, going back to Germany, I was playing another one season. And the one, the one manager there said to me, "He's like Claussen. That's a that's a German name. Maybe you can get a passport." <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, for some reason, I didn't even think about it up to that point because it is a huge advantage for a player because then you're not considered an import, right? Yeah, right. And I knew my grandfather was born in Germany, so I ended up, my father was also born German because my grandfather was, my father was born in German in Canada, sorry, but to a German father, so.
2: So he had German like citizenship.
1: Yeah, so I got it through the bloodlines and then I got my passport and then that's basically why I stayed in Germany is because. So you wouldn't number one against number one, the import. You're I, a enjoyed, citizen. I enjoyed Germany a lot and number two, it was the best opportunity to keep playing hockey. So,
0: so you're a citizen of, are you a citizen of Canada, of Germany and of the U S?
1: No, I'm a, I'm a dual Canadian, German citizen,
0: Canadian, German. Okay.
1: Yeah. Canadian, German.
0: That's, that's great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So at the time I didn't even think of it, which is now a lot of guys are taking that road. If they can get the German passport, it's a huge advantage, but I didn't even, the guy brought it up to me and then I was like, hmm, maybe I should try. So and now when you actually look at it, I, it's a European passport, not just a German, right? It's a European Union passport. So essentially I could, I could work anywhere in the European Union.
0: I was going to ask you about, about not only work, but I mean, could you represent, you could represent Germany in the Olympics then or something like that, right? National tournaments and such.
1: Yeah. I like, I, yeah, I have the German cast. So exactly. I could, I think at the stage that I got there, I was like into my 32, 33 years old. Mm-hmm when I started being over there full-time and I think I was a little bit off the radar. If I would have maybe gone over at 25 or 26, maybe I would have had that opportunity. Not sure.
2: A guy you played with in Germany. John Tripp. No. uh, (laughs) 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 Nope, I'm thinking a name. You were quick with that. Yeah. No, because I was
1: thinking because John Tripp did play for the German Olympic team.
0: Played for the Olympics, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I'm a guy who you probably maybe played against in college. And then played for very successfully with the Admirals was Darren Hadar, who probably is one of – I would assume is one of your best friends to this day. Um, can you just talk a little bit about your relationship with him and
0: uh, – uh, and, and you sent such a nice message. I mean, that, I, I, that literally
2: people
1: – saw they that were crying this crying. family was
0: just in tears yeah, yeah his family was just in tears
1: oh that's yeah have we not brought up Hadar yet
0: <laughs> we <laughs> we have not, not. I've, I've, we've
1: mentioned him like
2: tangentially but not really besides yeah.
1: that well yeah obviously no i mean yeah many it's we go back a long time to the like you said aaron the 203 but we played college against each other before that UNH. i was gonna experiment. ask you that yeah but the well, first you time we met we yeah. both were on the all rook, Hockey East All Rookie team and we met at the banquet that night. That was the first time I met him. And then it's here we are, 20, 21 years, 22 years later. But no, that family's had a huge, has been a huge part of my career. And our parents were friends. Our moms would come down to Milwaukee and they would stay with us and cook for like a lot of the team and stuff like that. And they, they were at the Wilkes-Barre game for the final there in Wilkes-Barre for the championship. Obviously,
2: we have an awesome picture of you and your mom and Darren and his mom. I think maybe both of your mom and his mom or one of you is smoking a cigar. Uh, but in the <laughs> locker room afterwards with the think Paul. Pa- the that
1: might be Pauline. Pauline I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So no. And then my parents went to visit them in Toronto, I think a few times. And actually that Wilkesbury game, my mom, I don't know where she flew into like Cincinnati or something crazy like that. And the Hadars managed to pick her up at the airport and drive her onto Wilkesbury for that game four. Wow. So, is that right? Wow. And then, yeah, and then we, uh, like you said, Charlie, we met up again. In it was 14, 15, maybe. I got a call from from Minnie. He's saying, "Do you have a do you have a spot for me on your team?" And I was a little bit surprised because I was playing in the second, the second league at this time, and and I was like, "Oh yeah, we could we could use you, yes, like definitely." <laughs> but so I was it caught me off guard a little bit, and then I just gave him like the the true story of where he was coming. It was a, it was a smaller German city, and he's like, "Doesn't matter." He's like. I want to play again. And if I can, if we can play together again, that'd be pretty cool. So talked to my GM and it wasn't much to sell him. And we got him there and yeah, we, we played that last season, his last season in uh in Foster, in Germany. So yeah, definitely a ton of memories. And um, obviously I wanted to be there for his, for his Jersey retirement, but couldn't make it. So it was least I could do is send a, send a video. And it definitely, uh, yeah, yeah, it was important for me to get that to him, to his Hello. family
2: like Aaron said, like they had not seen it. No, They hadn't seen any of the videos and I, and they watched it on the video board right before his, right before we introduce him and bring him out. And it was very emotional for them. Uh, And obviously given what, you know, what had happened with your folks and everything like that, uh, it added more, but like your words were so kind uh, and it, it was clear that it was obviously very heartfelt what you said.
1: Well, yeah, it's uh, like I said, they've been a big part of my career. We've spent a lot of time together. And, yeah, what I was going through at the time, obviously, it just, it was actually, it was going to be part of my message, even if I didn't intend it to be. It was just the the state I was in at that time was uh, very emotional. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, they received it well, so.
0: You had said, uh, Greg Clausen, uh, you had said uh, a little earlier that uh, if I get into coaching, you've kind of been coaching a little bit the last couple of seasons, haven't you?
1: Well, my last season and a half, I guess I could say I was coaching my second in seventeen eighteen, I was going to retire, and then I got a call from, from a coach in the, in, this, in the Oberliga in Germany, in Rostock. And I was living in Berlin at the time thinking I was done hockey. And he said, I understand you're in Berlin. It's not far from, from Rostock here. Would you be interested in playing in and, and that was going to be the only way I would play is if it was close enough to Berlin where I could get back and forth on, on off days and stuff like that. So it, I went there to see a game and it was a, it was a really cool city. It's right on the Baltic sea. And uh, they sold me on it and I went there and I, I played. And then towards the end of the season, the coach there got fired and then a player took over and then I kind of helped him coach that year. And then we did it together the next year. So we were both players coaching. He was head coach more or less. I was assistant coach. But was there a was, guy on the bench? We had to have a guy on the bench. Just we, there has to be someone with a, a suit coaching, a, a coaching license. In yeah. Germany, it's called the coaching license with the A letter on it. And so we just brought a guy in basically to, uh, to be on the bench. but. But he was basically, he wasn't really like some I random mean, was, guy. Office.
0: You got yeah. a puppet regime going <laughs> yeah, on. A here. Puppet yeah, regime.
1: Exactly. yeah, exactly. That <laughs> no, it was a good opportunity opportunity for him too to be on the bench and learn some things, but it was it was honestly myself and Thomas Kurka. We were running the running the show, like we were doing all the X's and O's between periods, doing the lineups and everything. And so needless to say I got a lot of power play time those that year and a
0: half. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you move out of the locker room and into the coach's office or what do you do?
1: Yeah, at, at times if we have to, like, especially at home we had a little office we could go into and then we would sometimes but we tr- we tried to keep it in the room as much as possible be as transparent with the players because i mean you're still part of the team you're on the I ice i couldn't
0: imagine being a player coach or a no. player manager just the politics and all <laughs> the other things you all everything you have to weigh obviously right the grumbling I, I would, of yeah
1: i wouldn't like for for thomas i wouldn't be the like he was, in the end, he made all the final decisions. He made the, the, the hard decisions with the lineups and stuff like that. He answered all the, big, the questions to the sponsors and to the media and stuff like that. I don't think I could do that as a player head coach, but assistant coach, it's suited me better too. I was kind of with the younger players helping them out. I was running some practices at times and, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of politics involved where you have mm-hmm. to, uh,
0: How many guys... It's a a fine
1: line. Now you're the guy when the guys are going out for beers complaining about you, you know. Exactly, exactly.
0: I was going to say, how many times do guys slip up and say, man, I can't believe the coach... Oh, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Oh, totally. That's that's the nature. Like, I'm sure those kids went out and be like, what are those guys talking about? Like, they have no idea, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there was a fine line where you had to... Sometimes when you went out for beers, you would kind of like have one or two and just like take off, let them do their thing, right? Because you're not fully just the player anymore who can complain about the coach you're the coach who's getting complained you, about yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> can't right? complain about yourself <laughs> yeah so it, it was interesting but it's definitely a good experience and I, I think I learned a lot and you learn a lot because you're speaking a lot and in, in front of the team and was, the, yeah, and you're was making it this,
2: were you speaking German
1: <laughs> very little oh okay <laughs> no we were we were, we ran it in English because we're not I mean I have all the excuses in the book why I don't know German yet but <laughs> I, I'm not fluent in it. I can understand most of it, but no, we were running the the, the hockey practices and the games in English. Uh, my, so my
0: last. You, oh, go ahead. So go ahead. I was just going to say, so do you go back? I mean, if if you do coach, is it, do you want to stay in the, in North America or do you want to head back to Germany since you have uh, such an investment there over the last several years?
1: Well, will definitely be the plan is to be back in Berlin. That's where home is for me and my girlfriend. So,
0: so you consider when I was, Berlin, when I was
1: playing with, when when I was home, with there in that year we were an hour and 20 minutes from Berlin and my girlfriend worked in Berlin so I would go there on my off days and we both kind of fell in love with the city and that's where we've been for the past four four off seasons or whatever so is she, from, is, go, is, she is she a German is she German she's citizen? from Germany yeah she's yeah. from Germany uh, I met her in Cologne in 2011 so okay uh, but yeah so the plan is to go back there for now and I'm, I'm assuming the next few years will be there I'm not sure depends on what happens with my next job I guess Sure.
2: So my last question for you is uh, uh, you've obviously got some, some wonder lust in you because one of my favorite Instagram accounts to follow, especially after your season was done was you and, and these trips you would take through Europe and through the Alps and uh, like just this go- just these gorgeous places. And I want to know what your favorite place to travel is. Not, not necessarily, not to play hockey, just to travel. Like, wow, this is so cool.
1: Yeah, that's the, definitely the benefit of playing in Europe. You get, you get two breaks a year a November break and a February break, where you get a week to, because they shut down for the national team tournaments. So that's when guys put it on their calendar to take advantage of it and go somewhere. Like you can, you can travel cheap, cheap in Europe and go to some amazing places, short flights. So, oh, my favorite. I honestly keep going back to Italy. Italy's amazing.
2: Yeah.
1: Like the, where where in it, Italy? Well, I've I've almost tackled all of Italy and it's, to me, once you start going to the bigger cities like Florence and Rome and and these places, they all kind of are the same after a while, the major cities in Europe. Right. So for me, it's going into like the countryside, like Tuscany and stuff. And you go into the small villages and you get the authentic, like the wineries and stuff. And you get the kind of hanging out with the locals, you you want to say, I guess, eat the real food and, and just more relaxed atmosphere. And then lately, I've gone to Greece a couple times, which is also some uh, unbelievable like beaches, just it's beautiful. And, yeah. and these, like the last trip was Greece, and honestly, I just searched for like cheap flights in the, in April or April May is the best time to travel because it's the start of the, the holiday season, and I think the, the the hosts are in better moods and the the weather it's not so hot. Yeah, and and the hotels are cheap and stuff like that. So uh, we just found this island in Greece with like a seventy year old flight, and we found this Airbnb for unbelievable price we had the whole place to ourselves so Greece is, is on the map now too but nice I don't know with my next job if we'll get so much time off so we'll see yeah
0: do you have do you have something lined up you say you're ne- you've said you've referred to that your next job a couple of times do you have anything lined up
1: no nothing nothing lined up um I mean i <laughs> possibly coaching but it's I don't think I need to be in hockey the last uh the last four or five years of my career, I've, I've been getting into some like alternative investments type things, like some real sure. estate stuff. And, sure. and that's kind of what is my passion now to, to research that stuff and try to uh, try to move forward doing that and, and possibly coaching. So we'll see sure. what happens.
0: As, as we close this here, we like to always ask guys, um, when you think of your time in Milwaukee, what comes to mind?
1: Milwaukee oh man there's so many stories but I just think the memories of like being with guys in a a team atmosphere coming to the rink especially those last years winning and just having a a good vibe coming to the rink I remember walking in every day to the Bradley Center seeing Joe at the front there security (laughs) Joe Young (laughs) yep Yeah, Joe would always give us a little chat there at the front and just, obviously, McGillicuddy's. Um, (laughs) I I don't know, just the names, like Phil Whitliff in the early years, the Pettit family, the Bradley Center, Miller Park, Water Street, Brady Street. There's just, it goes on and on. Um, It honestly, some of the best memories in my career. I was there, like I said, parts of six seasons, I guess. So I spent a lot of time there between there and then I've spent three years in Cologne, Germany. Those are my longest stops, but definitely a place I want to get back to. And I didn't answer one thing about Milwaukee, did I? I, I said many there, but that's the okay. Cloud. Yeah. I think it's a I just great think answer. all those, all those uh, living downtown and just being right in the mix, being able to walk to the rink and go grab a beer, at McGillicuddy's in 10 minutes or whatever. And just, yeah, it was a, it was a great place to play. And, place i need to get back to one of these
0: days well we'd love to see you there's no doubt about that and we uh we can't thank you enough you gave us a lot of time here we really appreciate it Uh, it, it's great to talk to you great to see you uh all the best to to you and your family stay well buddy thank you
1: all right appreciate it nice to see you guys take
0: care thanks greg all right Greg and joining us Uh, that'll wrap up a milwaukee admiral's podcast thanks for listening